مرحبا بكم في كون لانجري المدونة الصوتية المتخصصة في اللغات المصطنعة وصانعيها Con Langery, the podcast by constructed languages and the people who create them. I'm George Corley, and with me down the road a ways is William Annis. Hello. Uh, and that's it today. We are, uh, we got no guests, no interviews today, although um, if people haven't, haven't seen, haven't uh, listened yet, uh, I highly recommend the last um, thing we put out, William's interview with uh, Ada Palmer. Uh, about uh, to like the lightning because that was uh, very good. Even though it's not Con Lang related, it's more about um, you know language related Con worlding. Yeah, a little bit uh, or world building in a in a future setting with with real in quotes real languages, <laughs> uh, natural languages, uh, and what what they get used for in the future. But, um, yeah, that was very interesting, William. Yeah, that was a little off the beaten path, but it, it just, I mean, partially it just seemed interesting, the various things she was doing language-related. Second, I wanted an excuse just to talk to her because <laughs> I enjoyed the book, so it, it worked out well. Yeah, uh, I especially liked what she talked about, what she was doing with um, the different ways of characters speaking Latin. With the missions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and you'll, y'all will have to just listen to that, um, in order to learn what that's all about. Um, so, oh, and William, you made a note. We missed it, but like from May, Con Langery is what, five years old now? Yep. Yes. Okay. Almost continuous production for five years. It's pretty impressive, I think. Well, I think that's been a good no. I'm not gonna. <laughs> I was gonna say I think that's been a good run, but no, no. I don't want to give people the impression that we're gonna stop. Uh, you know, uh, we might make it five more years. We'll see how long we can keep this up. Right. I'd like to do it for a long time. So today we are doing a linguistics topic. We're gonna talk about. Stress systems. Uh, now, um, stress systems, when you're creating uh, a stress system for your conlang, I think this is a thing that can be really, really easy or really, really complicated. Yep. It really just depends on what, what you're going to do. And it's not even just like, um, I'm not even talking about level of detail, but like what kind of stress system you choose sort of determines how much work you're going to do. Um, so um, let's start off. I believe we've, we've gone through this before, but let's, let's just sort of reiterate. Uh, William, you, you take this since you wrote, wrote things down. What is stress? Right. So what we're talking about here. We're going to be focusing on word stress. People also use the, you know, the phrase phrasal stress. We're going to ignore that for now, mostly. 
Um, and stress is just when a particular syllable or syllables is picked out for prominence within a word. So what forms can that prominence take? It can be a change in volume, usually louder. It can be a change in pitch, higher or lower. A change in duration. Um, there can be a change in how the stressed syllable is pronounced. Um, and what that means is usually uh, you may have a larger range of vowel sounds available in a stressed syllable than an unstressed syllable. Um, or, and this is most likely some combination of these. So English has uh, both volume and pitch changes for right. its stress, which is really confusing to and people. And duration. And duration. I mean, all sorts of stuff is going on. And, <clears throat> and, uh, and then um, we have very thorough vowel reduction. Right, but is that, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, that's sort of a consequence of, the, of a strong stress accent. Right, right. We don't, we can question whether sort of different kinds of reduction are are like integral to the, the stress as much as the other things but um the other thing i'd want to mention is um this is not necessarily going to um affect people so much but the the volume pitch and duration and to a certain degree reductions like vowel reduction um Speakers of different languages can take those things into account um, at different uh, – in sort of a different uh, hierarchy, different weighting. Because – so English speakers, we really, really focus a lot on the pitch. The other things are there. The intensity or volume and the duration are there. And then we have the vowel reduction, which is a big clue, which actually we pay attention to a lot as well but we pay attention to pitch a lot and whereas russian speakers apparently focus more on the vowel length so that's a, a different thing i don't know that's something that maybe you can note in a grammar there's a question about when you're doing a conlang how much do you want to deal with that kind of phonetic stuff because uh frankly you're not going to pronounce it right um, but, um, that's, uh, another issue. Um, but the phonetics are not really what we're going to be talking about here. Um, so much. We're talking about, um, stress systems and talking about sort of how stress is assigned. Um, so, uh, William, can you talk more about like just the basic types of stress? Sure. Well, some languages don't really have word stress. French is the classic example, and, you know, George made a, a note here in our show notes that that's disputed. And, you know, they might say that a word has final stress, except that what French may have is clause stress, which is accented finally. So if you're asking a Frenchman to produce a random word in isolation, it's still going to have clause stress. But when you string them all together, the stress tends to be deferred until the end of the intonation unit. Okay. Right. That's... that. But so that's a possibility and we can move on. Right. So 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 you might not have stress on words. The, right. Sort of depends on um yeah, I don't I I honestly don't know the analysis of French that well, but um uh, I'll I'll take your word for it that at least some people are saying that you don't have stress on individual words. Right. So but we're talking about languages that do have stress. So let's talk about what are the basic ways you can have stress? So 
Crudely, there are two choices for your stress system. You can have a fixed stress, and what we mean by that is there is a rule and it applies equally to all words of the language, um, or you can have something that's not fixed, uh, usually weight-sensitive, and we'll get to that in a minute, but not only. So English, for example, does not have a fixed accent. The accent moves all over the damn place um, and lets us do things like... um, I'm trying to think of a pair where the only difference is the stress in English. Um, Dessert and desert, for example. Right. right, Are are different primarily in stress. Um, Right. Right. English stress is... It is lexical, right? To a to a a, a large degree, meaning um, basically you have to memorize the stress um, with the word. There there are rules, but it's it gets complicated. And um, I have uh, one source. It's really like theory driven, so I don't know how useful it is, but it does go into all of the craziness and tries to analyze like English stress into different classes if people want to talk about that because I do think if you want to go with the option of doing a lot of work and getting something really complicated um you know I think in most cases conlangers sort of shy away from using English as inspiration but English can be inspiration for a really com- convoluted and crazy stress system <laughs> So yeah, you, you can you can do fun things if you if you uh, try to wrap your head around English stress. Um, but so English like it's everywhere. But you could have a language like Finnish where you have a, a strong initial stress accent and it is always on the first syllable of the word, right. always always and forever. And that's the and that's the the simple thing to do is if you don't want to worry so much about stress. The fixed is what you do with. And basically, you just choose one syllable. It would be, um, what, first, second, or third syllable, or um, uh, ultimate, penultimate, or antipenultimate syllable. Right. Um, and, and so it's either the first, second, or third from the start, or the first, second, or third from the end. Right. With, you know, modification for, um, you know, if you have a one-syllable word, obviously, it's right. just stressed. Right. So um, I should. So there are some interesting patterns there. The 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 third option, the the third either from the start or from the end as a fixed stress location is not particularly common. Very unusual for counting from the start. First or you know first from the start or first from the end are reasonably common, and counting from the end uh, penult that is second from the end is pretty common as well. Just in terms of total numbers. It looks like counting from the end of a word for assigning stress is more common than counting from the start, but there are still plenty of languages that have um, the first syllable of the word gets the stress as the rule. Right, right. So just pick one of those probably first or second syllable from the beginning or the end, and if uh, if that's all you want to do, then you're done, right? Ta-da! Yeah. <laughs> So stress systems are easy, but we're going to talk a little bit about um, stress systems that are a little, a little bit more complicated, and let's and we can uh, sort of step up the complexity as we go here. Right, and it can get very complex. So walls, we're lucky, has several 
sort of nice summary chapters of this stuff. And it just basically gives up and lays things out in tables. That's how sort of complicated it can get. So for the next class is weight sensitive stress. That is some feature of the syllable determines the location. Usually that's heavy syllables. That is either they have a long vowel or it's a closed syllable. That is there's a coda consonant in it or some terrifying mix of both of those. Um, if you're, if you don't have long vowels in your language, diphthongs might still be weird or things like vowel quality might count. Open vowels are heavier than closed vowels, or it just might be if it's a closed syllable, then that counts as heavy. This is really important. Uh, as you were listening, all those things, William, this is, this it's the, the point here is it's important to define what, counts as a heavy syllable in your language yeah. when you're doing this. So uh, it may be that only long vowels count, or it may be that long vowels or closed syllables can both count. Or right. it could be one of those odder things that are that, that you mentioned, like vowel quality and such. Right. So definitely you have to choose what your heavy syllable is. And basically... What happens when you have a um, a weight sensitive system is um, it can get more complicated than this, but the basic thing is that you'll have sort of a default stress rule about where stress is located, but heavy syllables will tend to attract the stress to themselves. Right. So let's go through some of these possibilities. So you're you're. You're, we're, we're having lots of branching trees here. If you've chosen a weight-sensitive stress, then you get to choose between bounded or unbounded systems. By bounded, we mean um, weight determines the stress, but there's a window in which that has to occur. So you could have, for example, uh, a right-edge stress means that it must be on the last or the next to the last syllable and whichever one's heavy will get it. If there's not a heavy one, you have a default rule. So the fun thing about, <clears throat> excuse me, the fun thing about that is basically all possibilities are there. If you've got two syllables at the end and they're both light or they're both heavy, what do you do? And every conceivable possibility is, there's an example of a natural language that does it. And the walls chapter which is, what, chapter 15, just gives you all of them and examples and numbers. Yeah. Um, um, what's the the Latin rule? Um, because that that's a good example of uh, sure. stress. How about we give the Greek one, because I know that better with um, certainty, which is similar. It, it, in Greek, um, let's go with the, the rule for verbs and ignore nouns at the moment. Um Except for certain weird imperatives, in ancient Greek, you say that the stress is recessive. That is, if all of your syllables in the last three are light, then your stress is antipenult. If you have a heavy syllable at the very end, the stress goes there. If you have a heavy syllable at the penult, that is next to last, it goes there. And you can never, ever have... Uh, yeah, and that's as far back as it will go. You, you only re revert... Um, if there's no uh, heavy syllable in the last or next to last syllable, right? And I think I think Latin does 
very similar things. It is similar. I don't know if it goes all the way to antepenult. And and, <clears throat> and its rules for determining uh, weight are a little bit different from Greeks. So you've got a rule, but it's a kind of complicated rule because you have to say, okay, here's a window, and then you have to look at the details in that window to determine where the stress goes, as opposed to just simply saying it's always up in the next to last. Um, as I was saying, um, these systems that work from the end of the word are more common than those that count at the start of the, that start counting from the, the front of the word. Although they do list two languages where one of the first three syllables could be the one that gets the accent, which is just, I've never seen a language that does that. Mm-hmm. Okay, so then your other possibility is unbounded. And that means that the stress can be anywhere in the word. You start counting from one edge and you keep going until you find a heavy syllable. Well, okay. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, these are a little bit, uh, yeah, these are weird. They're not as common. And it is a little weird. It's like, what do you do if nothing's heavy? Um, it's all sorts of stuff. And uh, the, the Walls article describes them as um, especially interesting. <laughs> because i don't know it took me way too long to internalize ancient greeks stress system so now i can just spew words correctly Hmm. but i can't imagine having to do the processing involved in finding the one heavy syllable in like say a seven syllable word and saying ah the stress goes here yeah well i'm People. Do I mean, it obviously, people, so. obviously, people do it, but it's just it's it's unexpected, um, and it is less common, right? So that's that's a, an interesting uh, option to have. Just unbounded wherever there's a heavy syllable, you that's where it goes. puts the stress. And I'll repeat again: Paul's chapter fifteen has you know tables explaining all of the possibilities and 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 it was examples for all of these. Now, once you have that, so far we've only been talking about um, a language that has a single stress, right? But, you know, again, we can talk about English. English has secondary stress. Uh, you, you have one stress that is less prominent than the other stress. So uh, what, what do we say about that one, that part? It's very scary. Right, so this gets us into a little deeper into the, the weeds of theory. Basically, let's imagine that all syllables in a word are bundled into groups of two, which we're going to call feet mm. for historical reasons. And these feet then determine where the secondary stress goes, that there will always be a stress in a foot. Right. And you just keep breaking feet apart. So, for example, and I believe this is true of Finnish, your first syllable has the primary stress, and then there's no stress on the second syllable. So that finishes that foot. And then from then on, the first syllable in every subsequent foot gets a secondary stress. Mm-hmm. So if you have an odd number of syllables, your last syllable is not usually stressed. So you might have secondary stress and two un, you know, unstressed syllables after that. But it basically comes da, 
da 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 you know just that's the pattern that's counting from the front you can count from the back and there is truly an insane mass of possibilities here right you might just have a rule like normally this is a weight sensitive system and so you use your weight based rule to determine the primary stress but your secondary stresses may be determined completely by position or they might have some weight sensitivity or not or they this is my favorite eight languages 8% of the data involves has they're both weight sensitive but they follow different rules right i think you you'll need to uh look up specific languages to figure out like what what can be done there right. um the the thing about um this and uh just to put on my uh my um my linguist hat here not all linguists use feet exactly as an analytical tool but it's really common and it's it can be a useful way of thinking about it but um it's uh uh one thing about when you're doing feet is most of the time if you're if you're analyzing a language in feet there's often going to be like cases where there's a syllable that's not in any foot right so um you know there's just complications to it we we call that uh extra metrical when that happens so uh there are there are all kinds of like weird sort of oddities that can that can uh fit into the stress system when it gets this complicated right there's a uh earlier this year back in april there was a a conlang mailing list a conlang l discussion about thinking about feet um as a tool and dirk elzinger has he posted and has a great list of examples of him using feet um in his language who's mia pimokwich yeah i it's very long i don't know how to pronounce it properly um where he's got uh his foot system is interacting with stress but also really interesting things happen for example consonant lenition can only happen within a foot oh and that kind of makes sense right lenition happens so uh, in some language a strong stress accent does horrible things to everything not part of the stressed syllable and in his language the consonant immediately after the stressed syllable is subject to lenition yeah um that's actually not that's that's actually sort of within um at least the way that people analyze a lot of languages is they they'll say that the domain of a particular phonological rule is the foot right as opposed to uh having a domain of the phonological word or um, some larger prosodic unit. Right, or the syllable. Um, so, yeah, you you can definitely, and I'm sure if uh, people look them up, I don't have any any off the top of my head, you can find Natlang examples of that kind of thing. Uh, so, yeah, um, I can, the only thing I can think of is some people, I don't do it this I don't think of it this way, but some people analyze the third tone Sunday uh, in Mandarin as like the smallest domain of it has to be a foot is what oh. they think. Yeah. Oh, I can see why that. Yes. That would explain yeah. all sorts of things. Yeah. 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 I don't, I don't, 
I'm I'm not as sure about that analysis, but definitely some people, you know, think of it that way. Um, so, so def- yeah, w- when we're talking about stress here, there well, so far we're just talking about stress assignment, but there are all sorts of follow through effects that can come from that that deserve thinking about too. Um, and this this article, uh, this little post that Dirk made, I think um, deserves a quick look for anyone who's interested in the possibilities. Yeah, right. That's, um, and I'll link that in the in the show notes. So I, I so we've gone over these kind of quickly, um, and honestly, it's kind of hard to talk about these in detail. So we're sort of giving flavors, and really, I recommend going to look at either walls or some of the other links we've had because really, you just need to look. <laughs> it's sometimes, frankly, a lot easier than trying to describe. Um, everything that's possible with accenting system, or at least I find it hard to come up with ways to, to talk about it. Definitely. Uh, you say that in both Greek and Spanish, you have different rules for nouns and verbs. Right. So you can have different accenting systems. So in ancient Greek, verbs always have an identical recessive accent rule. The accent moves far back into the word as it can, um, subject to weight constraints. Nouns and adjectives have a lexical accent, which still is subject to weight rules. So you might have a word that is accented on the second syllable, but if you add a heavy syllable, you know, like a a declension on the end, then you might pull it along down the word. Um, So you can't have like a heavy final syllable um, and a penultimate accent. That's just not allowed. So it's kind of lexical but subject to other um, weight constraints. Right. And, um, uh, you know, English has the, the verb noun pairs that are, um, that have different stress, but um, like that's a limited set of noun verb pairs. I'm trying to think of one like um, progress and progress. Right. That, that have that though. It's not really a clear, we don't really have necessarily a clear cut. This is the noun stress rule and this is the verb stress rule in English. It's, uh, we got, we got more divisions than that and it's not, it's not really all on, um, uh, word class boundaries. <laughs> I think it's important to also talk about, um, whether, st- and how stress can interact with morphology too. Sure. Um, so the simplest thing to think of is um, sometimes you have just a fixed stress language where it doesn't matter what the morphological structure is. It's just, you just assign the stress to your particular syllable. And, you know, as you add suffixes, maybe it gets, you know, it goes along wherever it, it ends up. Right. Yeah. But, you also get things where some, you know, where um, some suffixes or affixes generally, not just suffixes, but, you know, prefixes, whatever. Some affixes will cause the stress to shift and some will not. Right. You can have all sorts of fun in derivational morphology with this. And, and this is this is um, one of the links I have in English is t- talks about, you know, trying to make sense of how different affixes in English 
uh, change the stress of the word or not. Because the, they do weird things. And I was trying to find it. I don't know if it's actually in the, the paper I linked. Um, I couldn't find it, but I know I remember this, but there's, um, there's even weirder things that happen. Like, okay, we have depart. You add met, that's department. So no change in stress. But then you add al, it's departmental. Right. And trying to make sense of why that happens is beyond the scope of this podcast. <laughs> but that happens in English. Yeah. Well, as I said, English can be a good source of inspiration. If you want to go with a crazy, weird, complicated stress system that will take you a lot of work to, to figure out. <laughs> right, right. What else? So let's talk a little bit about stress-induced sound changes. Which just sounds fun, like, I'm just having a bad day, so I'm going to make some sound changes. Um, all sorts of crazy things can happen. Plenty of languages are very hard on unstressed vowels. Both English and Russian, I mean, we don't re- literally turn everything into a schwa that's not stressed, but it sure sees that way sometimes. Right. Well, we have very heavy reduction. Not everything reduces to schwa for all speakers, but it's close. Yeah, it's it's... All sorts of things happen. And then interesting things can happen within the stressed vowels. For example, in several of the Romance languages, stressed mid-vowels got turned into diphthongs. So is I, my Spanish is terrible. Is to sleep, is that an A-class verb? Is that dorm, dorma, dorm, dormir? Dormir. 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 But, it, but when I sleep, it's duermo. So an open O, oh, the A sound, got turned into a diphthong when it was stressed. Yeah. And that happens in Italian. Italian and Occitan. I'm trying to think if that's duermo. Well, that's that's true for a lot of verbs. I'm, I'm, <laughs> right. My so, Spanish is 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 rusty right now. I'm right. So to... I'm just saying that certain kinds of vowels might change if they're not stressed, but other kinds of vowels might change if they are stressed. Um, right. And English, we tend to make them longer. Right. Um, there are more possibilities if you have time. It's easy to find online, you know, the classic Jesenius Couch Hebrew grammar. Mm-hmm. I think it's even legal. Um, and read what happens in um, biblical Hebrew as suffix are added to words. It causes wholesale vowel slaughter and collapse upstream as more things are added to the end of the world. Syllable structure is rearranged. All sorts of fun things happen um, as new things are added to the end of words. Right, right. Um the other thing is like, so we talk about a lot about vowel reduction because, you know, that happens all, all the time, but other things can get reduced, um, in Mandarin and Mandarin, you know, there are people who will disagree, but Mandarin does have stress and tone languages. I want to iterate. I, I want to, I want to make sh- sure, you know, I get this to people. Tone languages can and do have stress um it's um uh there's there's sort of um an older way of thinking of that which puts like stress languages and tone languages in two separate categories but they're really not um but anyway going to mandarin so you have the neutral tone which as far as i've been able to determine uh, to you know figure from reading about, 
you know, other people's analysis and stuff. That's just a reduced, unstressed syllable. It's the shorter length, and it has vowel reduction, but it also has, you know, obviously the tone is deleted, so, like, the, the pitch contour of that is just a continuation of the previous tone, and uh, there's no no phonological tone on on that syllable. And also, you can get, um, like, the whole coda reduced. So if there's a coda nasal, that coda nasal can be deleted, and then you just have nasalization on the vowel. So, like, jintian uh, can, can become jintian. So that's, you know, there's a lot of different things that can happen with unstressed syllables. And also there's sort of these rules like the, the English flapping rule where that happens before an unstressed syllable. That's what it's transitioned from stressed to unstressed. Right. 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 So yeah, there's definitely a lot of different phonological processes that happen either as a result of some sort of like, you know, something is stressed and there's some sort of like fortition or whatever going on there, or something is unstressed and you have reductions or just, just rules that for some reason or other are related to the stress. Right. Yeah. It's hard to classify everything that can go, can happen after. I think, I think the thing, and this is not me like proposing or, or stating any particular theory, but my, my guess is that, um, the reductions that you get in something that's unstressed, in an unstressed environment, you always are losing information. So you can think of, you know, vowels reduced to schwa, they're becoming, you know, they're losing their sort of peripheral identity or, you're deleting a tone or you're, you're losing, losing codas or something like that. I, I, that's, that's the way I think of it. The, the, the flapping rule merges to phonemes. Right. Um, so I think if you're reducing information, usually that's going to be something that happens in an unstressed environment if it has to do with stress at all. But that's just my sort of top of the head sort of idea about it. I think that's, that couldn't be an, a useful rule of thumb, though. Yeah. Is there anything else you want to talk about, George? I want to talk about this great catalog, but if you have other things you want to uh, hit. The grid thing, did you want to mention that? Okay, well, I just have a couple of... The the thing is, I have two papers I'm, I'm going to link to. I'm going to put them like at the bottom in their own section um, because they're more theoretical. But, um, one of them is one I mentioned before that's, that's just focusing on English, but it's very theory heavy. And another one that might actually help you understand that paper better is, um, this, uh, this, uh, Hallian and Sardi. They, it's a different way of analyzing, uh, stress that it's not, rather than using feet, they have sort of this algorithm to um to determine uh like where the edges of domains are you could call them feet uh and it can handle things like weight uh sensitivity and even if you do some funny things you can get different 
um, uh, classes of stress with it. Um, I think they, they use Russian as an example because Russian has like weird things where you have words that don't not only have different stress, but the stress does different things when you start inflecting them. Right. There's a, um, a marvelous sort of classic academic era painting that some Russian did that has all of these sort of central Slavs or central Asians or someone having a party. There's horses and people are been drinking too much and their faces are red and there's people gesticulating madly everywhere. And it, the, it's a great painting. It has a classic title. I don't remember because I once saw somebody posted on social media with the caption, early Slavs determine the Slavic stress system. <laughs> Some have simplified, but Russian maintains a pre- very complicated um, uh, stress system. But anyway, this is only if you're like interested in theory, and it's only it's only going to be useful to you if you're going to do something fairly complicated, um, uh, because you know it handles because it it's meant to handle everything. It handles a fixed stress system, but uh, the way it handles a fixed stress system. It's just easier just to say that it's fixed, right? Um, <laughs> but um, whether you think that this is like a real thing that happens in in you know, obviously this is this is theoretical linguist positing this is a thing that happens in people's brains. Whether you think that's true or not, and you know, there's you know questions about that. I think this the the this that that system could be useful. If you want to wade into it and and uh, think about it, I've I've thought about re- writing a, a Fiat Lingua article about that, but um, it just that's that's just um, there if people want to look at it. You can also just you know compute things in terms of feet and such if you prefer doing it that way or you're used to doing it that way. I'm just um, throwing out possibly a useful tool. Okay, so the last reference I have is marvelous. It's by uh, Rene Shearing and Harry van der Holst. Word accent systems in the languages of Asia. It is a giant flipping catalog of stress systems from languages all over Asia in many language families. So it's huge. Um, the page numbers are in very, very tiny type at the bottom of the page. But if you go to page 553, you will see Gujarati. <laughs> and this is marvelous in bisyllables stress is on the vo- final vowel if it's ah if both vowels are non ah or if the first syllable contains a schwa and is closed stress is penult if the penult is an open schwa there is free variation <sighs> in longer words the stress is penult if it's not schwa but schwa plus coda is stressed if it's not e that is to say the letter i and the antipenult is not ah. But if the antipenult is ah, there is free variation. <laughs> so that's an interesting one. I find it interesting that it depends on the vowel type. So there's all sorts of fun historical stuff going on there, I assume. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some are much simpler and it's just like, you know, the first syllable is stressed, period. But right. for the more complicated examples, it goes through and gives examples. Um, it tries a little theory to figure out what's going on. Um, so some of the articles for particular languages are pretty rich and give you a range of possibilities. Right, so here we go. I, in my life, have never encountered a natural language that I've heard about that stresses 
the second syllable in the word. But Ossession does. Stress falls on the first syllable if it's long, else it's on the second. Right. It's Gujarati. I, I, this is... This is um... <laughs> See, this... The, so, definitely also take a look at William's thing, because um, the thing that my... Uh, my... Um, the the system I I just talked about won't handle is things like what particular vowel is there <laughs> because uh, they didn't really think about that <laughs> right yeah so it's huge it's overwhelming it makes reference to an online resource that used to exist but it it's missing in action unfortunately yeah um, stress type T Y P Apparently there are other ones for other things because when I plugged this into my uh, Mendeley, it mistook it for word prosodic systems in the languages of Europe. So apparently that paper's out there somewhere. Maybe I'll try to find it. Sure. Um, but well, that's definitely uh, a handy thing to do. And the the typology stuff and the stuff about specific languages, you know. As we often say with conlanging, that's that's more useful than theory stuff. I just saw, I just knew knew one particular like theoretical framework that I thought eh, you need some sort of theory to approach anything beyond the simplest stress system, if only to help you organize your thoughts. Right, right. is my feeling. And any of the, I mean, you have to assume feet exist if you're going to do something like these. Second stresses, secondary stresses that determine are dependent on weight somehow. It's just a useful tool for thinking, even if it or, doesn't. Or some kind of some kind of domain that the stress has to fall into. So yeah, definitely you need to have some some theoretical you know backing in order to to not go insane. Um, <laughs> Uh, if you're doing uh, a, a more complicated stress system, uh, so as we as I, I said, stress can be really easy, or it can be a whole lot of work, but you know, come up with something really interesting. So it all depends on what you want to do with your language. Um, and again, this is this episode is all about um, word level stress. So. We're not going to talk about clause level or sentence level stress uh, because uh, that's, that's the prosody a... episode that we've never done in the five years that people have been asking for it. Mm-hmm. What <laughs> I said, that's the prosody episode we've never done in the five years that we've been asked for. it. And the thing about talking about uh, prosody or prosodic phonology is that uh, I have read too many different theories that all say the same thing in different words that I don't know like what 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 how I'm going to how how I'm going to talk about things with uh prosody but uh we could we could uh we could still consider that for the future <laughs> yes far into the future yeah around the 10 year mark well we'll we'll figure that out but at least uh, we have stress systems. Um, one thing that I forgot. Okay, one last thing. Um, one thing about it. We always ta- are talking. We're talking about um, things in terms of counting syllables with stress. 
but it doesn't necessarily have to be that way. So, right. um, so in Ho Chunk, uh, usually stress falls on the, in our, in our book, it's like the third vowel, but Ho Chunk has long vowels. So what it is, is if you, if you think of it in terms of, uh, more, it's on the third mora. So if you have short long, then it's on the second syllable, technically. Uh, or if you have, but if you have, you know, short, 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 then it goes to the third. So you can have stress systems that count more or whatever yeah. you want to call that. That's another, yet another branching option that you can choose. Right. So we have a, an interesting uh, weirdness that sometimes happens in um, ancient Greek. In particular, ancient Greek poetry, we have some very strange stress things that sometimes pop up uh, in how Homer was written down in the olden days, and some editors ignore it, and some editors still follow it. But it looks like, in recitation, they counted uh, a coda nasal as a, a mora, basically. Um, and so there are certainly people who do ancient Greek according to a, a, a time-counting system rather than a, a syllable weight system. It causes as many problems as it solves, um, but it explains interesting things that happen in um, at least Homeric textual criticism. Um, and, and I believe Japanese is also sensitive to coda nasals as well in counting mora, but I don't know how much that intersects with their um, pitch accent system. Yeah, a coda nasal is a is a more in Japanese. I I don't know how more fit into the pitch accent system now. Um, and but uh, I just wanted to throw that out there. You can have right, um, but, absolutely. Um, so an additional possibility for an already complicated subject. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so I think we've given people plenty of options to play with and you know, possibly different types of tools to, to get you there. Um, uh, and as sort of, as you were mentioning with ancient Greek with, um, that some of this is definitely going to be a little bit about, um, if you're looking at particular languages for inspiration, some of it is going to be a little bit about, um, what the person analyzing it. Sure. Well, that's going to be true for everything. That's true of almost anything that we yeah. talk about. But, you know, stress can be controversial in some, some places. <laughs> stress, can, stress can be stressful. <laughs> but for conlanging purposes, I think what we've, we've, we've gone over um, will, will suit people very well. And uh, my... My recording stuff has apparently restarted a brand new recording, so I'm going to take okay. that as a uh, uh, a note that we should probably wrap this thing up. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, William, any final thoughts before we go? Nope. All right, then I'm going to say thank you very much for listening. Uh, let us know all your all the things about uh, all your thoughts about stress tell us about the stress system in your conlang and uh, I'm going to say happy conlang thank you for listening to conlangery 
You can find our archives and show notes at conlangery.com. You can support the show on Patreon at patreon.com slash conlangery. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Google+, and on Tumblr now. All of those you just find conlangery. Our web space is provided by the Language Creation Society. Our theme music is by Null Device. And our new site was designed by Bianca Richards. 